0: So John chapter 10, it's good to be back in the Gospel of John, by the way. And John chapter 10 provides a very encouraging, endearing picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ in that it speaks of sheep under the faithful care of a loving shepherd. The chapter is divided into two halves. And the first 21 verses contain what's known as the Good Shepherd Discourse. We've considered that section already. There, in, in those verses, we've, we learn that Jesus calls himself the door of the sheep, verses 7 and 9, and, and the Good Shepherd for the sheep, verses 11 and 14. And when we put these two metaphors or these two pictures together, we learn that Christ is the means of entrance into God's flock and that he lovingly shepherds each sheep who enters. We come under his care to delight in the abundance of life with God, which he gives to us and shares with us in gracious generosity. It all pictures a tender, affectionate, Everlasting relationship between us and the Lord, which is meant to inspire faith in Christ. That's what we see, I think, in the second half of this chapter, our text today. The aim here is that we would believe in Christ to the enjoyment of eternal life with God. For the Lord Jesus, he seeks and he saves the lost, and he secures them forever. So I want to take it in three parts this morning. First, I want us to consider a, uh, a, a curious question, actually a curious request. I'd rather call it a curious request. That's in verses 22 and 24, 22 through 24. Second, I want us to consider a clear reply, verses 25 through 30. And then, third, a contrasting response. And that's in verse 31 through the end of the chapter, verse 42. So, again, a curious request, a clear reply and a contrasting response. First, a curious request. Thematically, the passage is linked to the previous section in that it still talks about sheep and about Christ as their shepherd, but it's a different occasion than before. It was the time of the Feast of Dedication, uh, which occurs in December by our calendar, which probably signals about two months' time between the conclusion of verse 21 and the start of verse 22. The Feast of Dedication wasn't wasn't one of the uh, biblically appointed feasts. Uh, Rather, it emerged out of a really tragic period in the life of the Jews. Less than 200 years prior, in the mid-160s B.C., a, a cruel king, some of you may know this or remember, a cruel king, named Antiochus Epiphanes uh, attacked Jerusalem and killed thousands of Jews. Conservative estimates are somewhere between 80,000 and 100,000 Jews were slaughtered under his rule and many others were enslaved. This savage king just wanted to uh, end Judaism once and for all And he oversaw and authorized the brutal executions of anyone who failed to comply with his evil dictates. What happened next, however, no one could have imagined. A man named Judas Maccabeus, a Jewish patriot, led a rebellion against Antiochus Epiphanes. And surprisingly, the Jews succeeded in overthrowing their enemy. Historically, this is called the Maccabean Revolt, which led to the refocused worship of God and the rededication of the temple. It was a grand, unexpected victory, and the Jewish people celebrated in grand style. This Feast of Dedication was an eight-day feast, It was also called the Feast of Lights, or what we know today as Hanukkah. It was winter, we're told. And Jesus was walking in the temple, in the outer precincts, on the eastern side. And John tells us that he was in Solomon's colonnade. And then somewhat suddenly, he is encircled by some Jewish authorities who pose a question in somewhat forceful tones. How long will you keep us in suspense, they ask, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They want to know if Jesus is the long-expected Messiah, the one they were anticipating who would come from God to save their people And I call it a curious request because they should have known already. Jesus had already been very, very clear. And he says as much in verse 25. I told you, he said. In other words, I have told you. And you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Jesus, are you the Christ, the Messiah, or are you not? Tell us and make it plain, yes or no. But Jesus doesn't answer yes or no. Yes or no would require them to take him at his word, but they weren't taking him at his word. That's the problem. The Jews had been refuting, doubting, twisting his words all along. And furthermore, their cultural understanding of the Messiah was misguided at best. They assumed that Messiah would would save them from Roman rule and overthrow their Roman oppressors, perhaps much like the Maccabees. Decades prior, their view of of the Christ was, was more politically based in that they wanted a Messiah to free the people from Roman occupation, but Christ the Messiah came to free people from something much, much worse. From enslavement to sin. And its eternal effects. So, a yes or no would not bring clarity, only further confusion. Instead, Jesus gave them even more than a yes or no by pointing them to the evidence at hand that is, to his works, his miracles, his teachings, his ministry in general all substantiated his claim. To have come from God to save the lost. My works, he said, bear witness about me. They speak for me, they testify on my behalf. I have made it plain, but you don't believe. In fact, you don't want to believe. You don't want to believe. This statement, you do not believe. Jesus uses it twice. He uses it in verse 25 and again in verse 26. You do not believe, it is telling. You look at the original construction and it it reveals a, a posture of willing, persistent unbelief. They're like the people described in Romans 1 who willingly suppress the truth. We know people like this. We may have been people like this. We may be people like this. These Jews here are are like so many people today, people today who want to know about Jesus or who ask questions about Jesus don't always want the answers. They want their answers. They've already drawn their own conclusions and refusing to believe the evidence at hand, they persist in their unbelief. But the works of God in Christ are witness enough. If Jesus, I'm sorry, if the Jews had wanted to believe, Jesus had already given them ample reason. And then he explains further in verse 26 when he says, You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, this is a challenging statement. This will challenge your thinking. What the Lord says here, this statement, it really raises some interesting questions. Do they disbelieve because they aren't part of God's flock? or are they not a part of God's flock because they disbelieve? Do they disbelieve because they aren't a part of God's flock or are they not a part of God's flock because they disbelieve? And the answer is both. The answer is both. On the one hand, Jesus clearly faults them for their persistent unbelief, but then he explains why they simply aren't his sheep. And so what we have here in this one verse is this juxtaposition between two equally biblical truths, the truth of real human response. You do not believe and the truth of real divine sovereignty because you are not of my sheep. It speaks to the mystery of election. And I say mystery because salvation is a divine work of God that mysteriously, nonetheless, requires the response, the human response of faith. Divine election, essentially the belief that God chooses us rather than us choosing him, does not overrule our need for response. It does not disregard our will or drag us against our will. It is instead the means by which we will. By which our wills once enslaved by sin are freed to follow Christ, by which our wills, once dead in sin, are made alive to Christ. So we might think of it this way. We might imagine Christ as a door. The door. And the great gospel call of salvation goes out. It goes forth to whosoever will believe. And it calls you to leave behind your life of sin and shame and to receive forgiveness and, 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 and newness of life with God. And so you, having heard this great gospel call, you enter through that door as an act of the will, your will, as an act of the will, and as an expression of faith, you enter through that door and you come to Christ and you pass through into everlasting joy. No one is forcing you. It's not mechanical. It's not robotic. You're doing it under your own free volition. However, once inside, you're inside, you're in this. You're in God's flock, essentially. Once inside, in this sense of everlasting joy, you turn around and you see the back side of the door through which you just came, and you read the words, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and called by God Himself. In other words, your salvation was God's work ultimately to which you freely respond. We cannot deny either either side. Sovereignty of God and the necessary response of faith. They work together, sometimes in ways mysteriously They are equally true. And then look at verse 27. So he says, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. Verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They hear my voice, Jesus said. That is, they're called by Christ, and they respond to that call. So there is this general, wide-sweeping call of God that goes out to, a, to, a, to a, a world of lost humanity. Right? That's John 3:16. "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son." So that any who would believe in him, whosoever believes in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. That's this general, wide-sweeping call of God that goes out to a world of lost humanity. And then there is a particular personal call. And we call this effectual calling. Meaning that God, through the Holy Spirit, comes to you. He convinces you of your sin and need and he causes you to see God's provision in Christ and he enables you to embrace Christ personally as Lord and Savior. So so we will never respond to God's call unless God first makes it possible. Our ability to hear his voice implies that our spiritual sense of hearing has first been awakened. My sheep hear my voice, it says, and I know them. And this word know is an intimate word that speaks of love and, and of loving relationship. It's not just that Jesus knows about you, but he knows you inside out. He he knows you through and through. Nothing is hidden from his, his sight. Nothing is outside his knowledge. He knows your weaknesses, your failures. Your sins, your temptations to sin, it's all laid open before him and he loves you still. The Bible says God shows his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I ask, since Christ died for us while we were sinners because he knew and loved us even then, even when we were at our very worst, how shall we respond? We need not fear that there will be some new discovery about us that might cause him to turn away or cease to love. We, we're to respond in faith who, who, in him who calls you and knows you and who leads you onward. My sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, our following implies Christ's leading. Now think with me for a moment. If Jesus is going before us, if he is leading the way, then that means that he has already authorized and or experienced whatever comes your way. And this is one of the great sometimes unseen blessings of being in relationship with Christ. Because he is leading the way, he has already experienced all to which you are exposed. Are you tempted to sin? So was Jesus. By the devil himself, yet he remained faithful. Are you weary of empty, hollow religion? So is Jesus. And he calls the weary to come to himself and find true rest. Are you feeling the weight of what lies before you? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just anxious and weighed down and burdened by what's before you, either this week or in the coming days. So was Christ. Even as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his sweat became became like drops of blood. Have you been betrayed and deserted? So was Jesus, even when his closest friends left him at his darkest hour. Have have you been misunderstood and mocked, set up maybe, and even conspired against? So was Christ before the Jews. Have you been passed over or punished for something you didn't do? So was Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Have you ever been forsaken? So was Christ on the cross. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, we're told, who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so be assured that whatever you have faced, or are facing, or will face in the future has been experienced in some way already by the Lord himself. The Bible says he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, and he does. He does sympathize with your weaknesses, and then it calls us to to therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, belief is more than cold, impersonal, distant agreement to some set of facts about Jesus. Belief, true belief, is following Jesus, to follow His lead, Implying, of course, that, that we are turning from our way of life to go his way instead. It's what the scripture means when it talks about, when it says that, that it is in Christ that I live and move and have my being. I am called by him. I am known by him. I am loved by him. And I am led by him. It is this picture of an interpersonal, everlasting relationship where he takes my little life into His, and He actually imparts His great and glorious life into mine. That's the Christian life. That's what it means to believe. That's the gift. The gift of Christ is eternal life. That's what verses 28 and 29 guarantee. I give them eternal life and they will never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Eternal life, by definition, can never be taken away. All to whom Jesus gives this life will never perish. Meaning that even death itself has lost its power Against all who trust Christ. In fact, all things are powerless to keep us from eternal union with God in Christ. All things. We are held secure in the very hand of God. No one will snatch them from my hand, he says. Which, by the way, pictures that people or things are trying to. But no one will snatch them from my hand. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. So listen, your eternal life, eternal life depends not on your ability to hold on to Jesus, but on his holding on to you. He who called you will keep you. He will protect you and preserve you. This good and gracious work He began in you, He will complete and perfect. People, to believe in Christ is to belong to Christ forever. Can I get a witness? This great truth, we need to let this minister to our souls today. Let it give you peace In the day of trouble and strength, in the circumstances of life and assurance, when doubt creeps in, you are not holding on to Jesus in your own feeble strength, but somehow in the mystery of God's good purposes, He has reached down to take hold of your life and He will never let you go. He is the eternal bread of life to all who eat. He imparts continuously flowing springs of fresh, living water to all who drink. It is a certain kind of life, not just just life that simply goes on forever, but it does go on forever. Even in the presence of evil, And when evil forces attempt to snatch us from God, we will be kept in his strong hand. Your part and mine is simply to trust and obey. To believe that in every situation, Jesus is there. Your part and mine is to remember that to be in the hand of God, catch this, is to know the master's touch all the time. Your part and mine is to trust in the unfolding of His good purpose as He guides us through each day. Listen, your part and mine is to to remember that He's got the whole world in His hands, right? He's got the whole wide world in His hands. And so the Scripture says, if God... If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who will condemn? Is Christ Jesus He's the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. Listen, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, shall any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? No, For in all these things, love this phrase, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it is the supreme love of God that holds us secure in His hand. Therefore, it is impossible for a true believer, it is impossible for a true believer to lose their salvation because at the end of the day, it's not about your grip on God, but about His grip on you. I and the Father are one says the Lord in verse 30. Speaking to the essential union between the Father and the Son, underscoring the deity of Christ in that He is not only the Son of God, but of the same divine essence as God. Therefore, all who receive this gift of life from Christ are held secure in Christ because Christ is one with God. That's the clear reply. A curious request, a clear reply, and then third, a contrasting response. Verses 31 through 39 describe the response of the Jews. And, and just for time's sake this morning, we, we, won't, we won't get into the nitty-gritty of it. We're going to take more of a bird's-eye view and just, and just kind of discern their response. They were angry. And they tried to do away with Jesus. First, they prepare to stone him. That's verse 31. And then they try to arrest him. Verse 39. They simply refused to accept that Jesus is the Christ. Divine. And one with God who gives eternal life to all his sheep, to all who believe, but they refused to believe. However, the chapter ends with a much different response. In verses 40 through 42, we see Jesus leaving Jerusalem to return to the region beyond the Jordan. It ends with Jesus continuing to minister to people in need, calling and caring for his sheep. And the Apostle John tells us, and as he's putting this gospel together under the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 41 that many came to Christ. And then again in verse 42 that many believed in Christ. Many came to Christ, and many believed in Christ. And so there you have it. The Lord Jesus Christ seeks and saves the lost, and he secures them forever. And I want to take maybe just five minutes or so, in conclusion, to consider some application. How might this apply to our lives? I want to look at it in three ways. Something we've been doing here lately. First, is there an upward application here? In other words, how does this passage affect and inspire your worship of God? How does this passage affect and inspire your worship of God? Any ideas? Anyone? Elva. Yes. Amen. Good. Amen. Someone else. How does this passage inspire and affect your worship of God? Yes. So Right. Good. We're not the hamster on the wheel, striving, right, to, to in some way try to earn favor with God. It, it, God has already bestowed his divine favor upon us. And so maybe we just respond in love to him who first loved us. And then is there an, an outward application here? In other words, how does this passage inspire or move us to go out in reaching people for the Lord? Any ideas? Yes, Ed. Yeah, that's right. Encouraging in what way, Ed? To
1: not be afraid to be bold. That's
0: right. And that you don't have to convince them, right? You're the messenger. Yeah, good. What else? How does this passage inspire or affect our going out in reaching people for the Lord? One more. Gary. Doesn't this also... Sharing the truth about Jesus by knowing the words that we try to figure out ahead of time that we're gonna say matter not because it's his voice that they hear. Yes, that's right. Yes. Good. I so appreciate these responses. The, the, I, kind of, I was kind of thinking along those lines, Lyle, as I was thinking about it this week. I was just struck by the fact that, that these Jews here, they, they didn't get it, but yet they, they knew their need of a Messiah, a Savior. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but still there was something in them that knew that that, who, that that what they were experiencing in life and in the world around them is not the way it was supposed to be. And I just think people are like that, right? There's a general sense that people know that that, this, that, that the world is broken and that it's not the way it's supposed to be. And even though they don't recognize it, perhaps... They they don't see their need for God. They see a need, and we can be perhaps uh, mouthpieces in clarifying the need for God and God as being the the answer to their deeper, deepest need. Yeah, one more, Dave. Very good. Okay, one more. How about an inward application? Upward, outward, inward. How does the truth here, this passage, how does it apply not only in reaching people for the Lord, but then building them or building each other up in the Lord? Ideas, thoughts. What does it say? What does it say about being a disciple of Jesus? Budge. I think verse twenty-seven, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Yeah. These are all very definite. Yes. They're not maybes. He we hear his voice, we have the ability to hear from him in his word directly. And he knows us and we follow him. Yes. Right. But that doesn't matter. They are, in fact, true. Yes. This idea of following Christ, that is discipleship. Right? Following Christ. And, I, and I'm just reminded again that these were religious people. Right? These were religious people. People who believed in God yet were far from God because they didn't follow Christ. And so maybe, Elva, you want to say something real quick? Okay. I want, to, I want to just encourage us, maybe, as we think about the kind of a, you know, upward, outward, inward, we think about following Christ. I, I think this may be just an opportunity to examine ourselves, to take inventory of our lives, maybe to ask yourself, each one of us, maybe to ask yourself, is my life, be honest with yourself, is my life marked by trust in Christ? Is my life marked by obedience to Christ? Is my life marked by a love for Christ? Is, is my faith superficial? So I'm just going through the motions, or do I actually follow Christ? And if it's superficial, it doesn't have to be. You know, that's the great hope. Even as we're sitting here this morning, it doesn't have to be. We can respond today to the call of God upon your life, even as he is is speaking to us and perhaps to you right now through his word. All of us this morning, without exception, all of us this morning are reminded and encouraged to actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Amen. That was a bit longer than five minutes. Tim's probably uh, thinking we just totally messed up the recording. But uh, thank you. It was beautiful. Let's pray. God, we're very thankful for your word and, for, and I'm thankful for your people who are people of your word. We want to be. Thank you for the expressions of application here. Thank you for speaking truth to us this morning and then for helping us to uh, see how it applies to our lives. We do want to be more upward and worshipful in our love for you. We want it to be a sincere and earnest and honest love. And we want to be more outward in, uh, in reaching people for the Lord with the message of Jesus Christ we pray that you would give us a, a sure confidence to do this uh, in the uh, control and, and, and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And just because he's specifically asked, we do pray for our, our friend and brother Dave, and and even tomorrow or the next day when he has opportunity with these uh, few high school students. God, would, would you please, would you be pleased to open their blind eyes and unstop their deaf ears and replace their stony, dead, calloused hearts with, um, with new life in Jesus Christ? And would you give Dave uh, discernment and wisdom and courage and faith to speak the truth of Jesus uh, courageously uh, as I know he wants to? And then, Lord, in our own individual discipleship, help us to be followers of Christ, not just those who believe and never do anything about it, but who actually look to go the way of Jesus each and every day and throughout the day. We bless you. Continue your work now, even as we sing and partake in communion to, uh, to your great praise. Amen.